Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, September 20th, the year of our Lord 2022, brought to you as always by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Some teams cannot. Other teams simply have not yet. Could this week be the week for those teams? We are jam-packed high atop a sprightly downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Full week four predictions tonight. We got a new JP poll tonight. We got some hot seats to talk about. You know, it's not my favorite subject in the world, but we have some coaches who have already been shown the exit door, which begs the question, why were they even given an opportunity into this year? I digress. We've got other coaches who are feeling considerable amounts of heat. In fact, I think action is imminent on one or several of these coaches that we'll talk about tonight. And in sort of a take no prisoners move, I have already come up with a new design that we will implement for the Ramen Noodle Express, not if, but when it catches fire this week. That's how good I feel. You might ask, how, with a record so cold, can you feel so good? Like I said about teams, some cannot. Others simply have not. We can get hot, we just haven't yet. They're watching us in Paris, Tennessee, Albany, New York, Arkadelphia, Arkansas, and Draketon, Georgia. Thank you so, so much for being tuned in. We've had record viewership all season, so I appreciate it. Let's dive in tonight. Tuesday night is prediction night on this show. And so we're going to start with the game that we're going to be at this Saturday. We are headed to beautiful Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm told a cold front will come through between now and kickoff that will make it feel very seasonal, if not a tinge on the cool, crisp side in Knoxville this Saturday. Legendary rivalry, kids. I'm going to ju just talk to our high school and college audience for just a second. Legendary. I'm not misspeaking when I talk about that Gator logo and that big T logo and talk about legendary. You just need to crack open a history book. It has been a little while since this one resonated and reverberated outside of the Southeastern Conference. But it matters, and I think that we may have an atmosphere this Saturday in Neyland Stadium that harkens back to some of those more legendary matchups between these two brands. Now, we need to talk about something. It's called a point spread, and Tennessee is favored by 10.5 as we speak here on this Tuesday night. Those of you who have not watched either of these teams this year, but you just have access to trends, may listen to me say Florida has won 16 of the past 17 in this matchup, and then find out Florida's a 10.5 point dog, and blindly bet the dog. Now listen, I'm not saying that may not be a, there's like a triple negative in this sentence, but I'm going to continue. I'm not saying that that may not be a profitable strategy generically. I do think this game requires a little bit deeper dive, so let's do it here. This is going to be a theme throughout the night. What are you capable of that you have not shown me yet? It's week four. It's not November. It's not week 11. By week 11, we know everything pretty much about every team. That doesn't mean upsets don't happen, but rarely does a team show you the capability to do something for the first time in November. Teams show you the capability of doing something for the first time in week four every year. It will happen multiple times this weekend. So with the Florida Gators, the 10 and a half point dog here. Florida has 10 plays so far this year of 20 yards or more. That is tied for last in the SEC in that category. Anthony Richardson, zero pass touchdowns, uh, four-plus interceptions, and that makes him one of only four quarterbacks in America with that regrettable stat line through the air. My point is, is that him or is he capable of more? And it's just something that we haven't seen him deliver on yet. Now, I have mixed feelings about that. Uh, there are rumors that have floated around that program that he may be a little bit more banged up than they're leading on to believe, because no one's leading you on to believe that he's hurt at all if you listen to the official talking points from Florida. It would explain some of the ways they've handled him. Also, they have no depth behind him, so that would also explain why they have maybe hesitated to use his legs as the weapon that they can be. Regardless, you need more on the board this Saturday if you want to give yourselves a fighting chance here. How close is this in the fourth quarter? Is this a fourth quarter game? Is it the kind of game where all of a sudden you're texting your buddies? Hey, it's not a blowout after all. Well, the way that happens is a couple of things have to go down. I'm kind of trying to look at this from the angle of how could that upset happen? Because I think we're in that territory in the way that we typically break games down. Florida's defense has to be able to force a couple of dry spells, a couple of those prolonged three and out, three and out, three and out, those type of dry spells, they can't let Tennessee just consecutively be going up and down the field and scoring because they can't keep up. That could depend on sort of how Tennessee starts, but it's not always like that. So I don't just want to put an emphasis on the first 10 minutes of the game. But 
when they played Utah, when Florida played Utah, when Florida played Kentucky, when, when Florida played USF last week, they could depend on some of those dry spells. They knew those teams, and we found out those teams weren't going to get into the 30s and 40s against them. They were going to be hard-pressed to. Tennessee can do that. Tennessee could be, at halftime, what those teams were in totality against you if you don't force some of those dry spells. You're probably absent Ventral Miller, who's your most important defensive player in this game. That's the word out of Gainesville, at least. So early stops, critical, uh, force mistakes, which Tennessee's been prone to. All you got to do is go back and watch the pit game. They gave every reason to believe they were ready to give that game away. Then they happened to win it. But if you could force critical mistakes like Pitt forced them to do, then, yeah, you got a chance. Early stops, like I said, and then just grind on them with your run game. There's no guarantee it's going to work, but that's the formula if it does work. So if you can get this game to be played in the 20s, you can get Tennessee pacing towards that. It is your game at that point to win. You still got to grab it, but you have sort of decided the terms. If Tennessee's at 20 or 24 at the half, they're going to run away from you in all likelihood. Tennessee, I think, if you're looking at a game to compare this one to, should go back to last year. Ironically, it's a game we were at, and it's Ohio State versus Michigan State. Now, let me stop. I'm not comparing the Florida team, apples to apples, to the Michigan State team last year, nor am I comparing Tennessee to Ohio State. What I'm saying is the game could end up starting a lot like that Ohio State-Michigan State game did last year. We were there, total mismatch, total body bag special from the outset. And Ohio State, they didn't feel anything out. They knew they had a mismatch, they exploited it, and they completely sliced Michigan State. Now, Florida's got an infinitely better secondary than Michigan State ever thought about having last year, or apparently is going to think about having this year, judging by last week. So I'm not saying that it's Tennessee 28-0 right out the gate, but I am saying there are some pretty glaring mismatches positionally here that Tennessee, if they so choose to, could aggressively go after and never even allow you time to breathe. I'm very interested to see whether they do that because you could also sit here in the other chair if we had one on set and you can make the argument, but Josh, don't you remember the Pitt game? Don't you remember the way Pitt stayed in that game was Tennessee mistakes? Doesn't Tennessee have a good enough ground game? Can't they tempo their way to making Florida wilt on the ground to where they don't just have to throw the ball 40 or 45 times? Yeah, I'm not suggesting they need to throw it 45 times like Ohio State did against Michigan State early on. I'm saying utilizing that tempo, utilizing the ground game, and taking advantage of Florida's lack of depth and lack of players like Ventrell Miller. That's all part of what I'm talking about. I'm just saying I hope from Tennessee's perspective, if I'm backing them, they don't feel their way out in this game. They know who they are. They know where the mismatches are. I think they'll act every bit like Ohio State did against Michigan State last year. Let's take a look at what the Vegas number is. Let's take a look at what our model thinks on this thing. The Vegas number, as you can see on the bottom of the screen, is Tennessee minus 10.5. We're still north of that. Uh, we don't think the number's big enough. The model has Tennessee minus two touchdowns. Just think it's a mismatch. And this is exclamated by the lack of a guy like Ventrell Miller for the record. We have baked that into that number. So that's part of Tennessee being minus 14. And also, I have very little confidence that what we have not gotten from Anthony Richardson at home is all of a sudden magically going to show up on the road. So I can't depend on that Florida offense. And because I can't, I've got to factor in the possibility that this thing gets out of whack. Certainly could paint you a picture where it's a a one-possession game in the fourth quarter, and Florida's got a shot to win it. There's just more on the other side. There are several more scenarios where it's not. So I'm taking Tennessee to win. Even at that lofty a number, I'm taking Tennessee to cover. That's a game that we'll be at Saturday. And I'll tell you what we have with us every week, and that's Academy Sports and Outdoors. Obviously, if you've ever run into me on the road, you know there's a little added benefit, and that is we have Academy gift cards with us. Now, Academy Sports and Outdoors, your one-stop shop for everything you could ever need to tailgate or participate in any kind of recreational outdoor activity from grilling to golfing to anything in between. But also, I go to my mailbox last night. It's like a weekly tradition for me now. I go down to my mailbox, turn the key, and I see a big fat envelope. It's a traditional envelope, no different than you would pass off to your bookie behind a McDonald's somewhere. And it's got a big lump in it because much like you passing off a big envelope full of cash to your bookie, it doesn't just fold neatly because you probably owe him so much that it has to fold. Well, when I get an envelope from Academy, 
it has this in it. These Academy gift cards. Look how thick that is. You know how much money I got in my hand right now? These Academy gift cards I take with me to every town that we go to on the Every Given Saturday tour. I was thinking about this earlier. Oprah. She's done a lot. Oprah's great. Got no problem with Oprah. Oprah is famous for just occasionally on her show giving away cars. And I love cars, but pretty much everyone I know has got a car. Even Jesse's got a car, okay? So pretty much everyone has a car. You know what everyone doesn't have? Academy gift cards. Okay, so when I roll into town in Knoxville Saturday, you come up to me and say, hey, Josh, I'm going to say, hey. And then if you ask me, you got Academy gift cards? I'm going to say, there you go. And there you go. And there you go. This is what it was like around Auburn the other day. This is what it's going to be like in Neyland Saturday. Here you go. Academy gift cards for everyone. You ever seen Oprah do that? No, you have not. Because like I said, not just everyone, I need to get this off the desk, not just everyone gets Academy Sports and Outdoors for their exclusive partner. Not even Oprah. We got them and we thank them. They always make things possible that otherwise would not be possible. And boy, what they should provide me now is a cleanup crew. We have got more games to preview, so we're moving on here. I'm watching the uh, replay on YouTube, which is about 30 seconds delayed, and I just now see how foolish that looked. I'm not taking it back, though. Uh, JP poll time. I'm moving the JP poll up a little bit earlier in the show because I wanted to space out some of the predictions. There is movement in this thing this week that even I did not expect. Okay, the JP poll is our own internal power rating that gets pumped out from the model. It is not a ranking system. It's nothing like the AP poll, obviously, based on what you're about to see. And we go 25 to 1. I go through it pretty quickly. So whew, let's pull it up because, man, I've got some explaining to do. And I try and explain the model as best I can. 25 through 21, Wisconsin, NC State, Iowa State, Miami, and Florida State. Wisconsin has this loss to Washington State on their resume. And everyone's frowning about it because it's Washington State. Uh, I happen to think, and our model happens to think, Washington State's just a much better team than you do. And it keeps, it keeps rating Wisconsin a little bit higher than some of the other power rating systems I've seen out there. Iowa State and Baylor is going to be interesting this week. We got Iowa State at 23. I think we have Baylor like 19 or 20 or something like that. I'm about to see. But that's going to be a really good comparative test and analysis for us. Uh, FSU continues to climb at number 21. All right, let's take a look at number 20 through number 16. Like I said, Baylor right there at number 20. They lost to Brigham Young. Not a big deal. BYU, some of you know them as. Kentucky's 19. LSU's 18. Cincy is 17. A&M is at 16. Now, Kentucky, as you can clearly see, we don't have as high as the AP. Kentucky's at number eight in the AP, okay? It's not disrespectful for me to say what I'm about to say. Kentucky's not one of the 10 best teams in the country on a power rating scale. There are far more than 10 teams that would be favored against Kentucky on a neutral field tomorrow. That doesn't mean anything. Kentucky routinely beats teams as an underdog. But all this is based on is who would be favored against who tomorrow. So with that in mind, that's why Kentucky's down at 19 and why a team like A&M even though they've already gotten a loss, is up at 16, and A&M hasn't looked good. Only point is, if they played Kentucky tomorrow, they'd be favored. And from there, would play the game, and Kentucky'd probably pull the upset. Okay, let's go 15 through 11. This is where it starts to get a little interesting. So Mississippi State fell a few spots. They lost last week to LSU. They didn't fall because they lost. They, they fell because their expected passing game output was woefully inept relative to what the model thought we would see from them. And so, as a result, that's why they got dinged a little bit. I think, Jesse, I think this is the first time we've had Ole Miss power rated above Mississippi State this year. Ole Miss is, they're in ascension mode. They're playing bad teams, but they're beating bad teams soundly. So we're not going to, certainly not going to punish them for that. In fact, the model's rewarding them. Oklahoma State's one of the sneakiest, quietest, potentially really good teams in America. They're at number 13. Texas is at 12. It is what it is with the quarterback situation right now. They continue to buy themselves time. They've got Texas Tech this week. That line, I think, is up to six right now in favor of the Longhorns. That's in Lubbock, though. USC, still, to me, a pretty tough team to figure out. They're at 11. You know, USC goes to Oregon State, one of our favorite teams, this Saturday. And the line on that game's seven, six or seven. Let's just keep an eye on it. Model. I haven't moved on it yet. The model, this is kind of like what Friday Night Lines is like. The model has Oregon State at about a 60% cover probability in that game. So check out Friday Night Lines at Late Kick Josh on Instagram. All right, top 10 time. 
Oh, what happened to Clemson? Okay, so let me straighten my mic out for this one. Clemson, well, let me first tell you, Arkansas is number 10 for those on podcast. And Clemson's number nine. And Clemson beat Louisiana Tech last week. They were, what, what were they? They were number five the week before. So how did they fall four times or four spots when they won last week? The explanation here is pretty simple, actually. By the time we get to week four, each week further we get into the season, we are lessening the weight of preseason ratings, and we are increasing the weight of ratings that account for data ingested during the season. So basically what you're seeing is the last real week where we layer in preseason default ratings that we put in for Clemson, and now you're seeing more of what a true power rating would be for them if you just took their performance this year so far. It's like 80-20 at this point, I think. So that's why Clemson fell, because they haven't been all that particularly impressive and powerful this year. They've won, they've done what they need to do, but they haven't done it thoroughly enough to warrant anything above a number nine. Utah's number eight, pretty much unchanged. Tennessee is number seven, and Penn State is number six. Both of those teams up three spots from last week. Now, obviously, when you look at Penn State at six and Tennessee at seven, I'm going to look in the comment section. I'm going to get some pushback on that, and here's what it'll sound like. Penn State's not a, a top seven team. Tennessee's not a top seven team. Well, that's very relative to the particular situation we're in. Uh, the, the value of being number six doesn't just carry year to year to year. So my simple follow-up is going to be, if not them, who? Is Utah definitely better than them? Is Clemson, is Arkansas, are they definitely better than them? USC, some would argue, are they definitely better than them? There's no one definitely better than them. I mean, there's no definitive argument you're going to make. So there's a big drop-off. I'm about to show you exactly how big the drop-off is in a second. There's a big drop-off between the top two or three and then this kind of hodgepodge of teams in the five, six, seven, eight range. There is no one definitively better in that group of teams you see there than Penn State and Tennessee. There just isn't. All right, let's go. Top five. Check out Michigan. They fell one spot. Oklahoma got bumped up two spots. And that, again, is the model starting to ingest a lot more current and a lot less preseason default. So Oklahoma, for the first time, is as high as number four. The top three are unchanged. It's Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, one, two, and three. Let me give you an idea of how wide these gaps are. This is according to the model. The Georgia Bulldogs would be favored by two points against Alabama, neutral field tomorrow, three and a half points against Ohio State, 13 points against Oklahoma. There is a 10-point drop-off, essentially, between, or a nine-and-a-half-point drop-off between Ohio State and Oklahoma. So there's your first tier. Here's another idea of how wide that tier is. If you took the gap between Georgia and Oklahoma, the gap between number one and number four, it's as wide as the gap between number four and number 24. So the next 20 teams, the gap between those 20 teams is the same size as the gap between number one and number four. So yes, there is still, at least according to the model, a pretty pronounced tier there. We're going, to get, we're going to get some movement coming up. You know, Georgia's still, I'm not going to say they haven't been tested. They ju they've just passed every test with flying colors. Bama's got Vandy this week, and then it really starts again for Bama. They're going to go to Arkansas next week. That's the CBS game of the week, certainly in contention for the Every Given Saturday Tour. Ohio State is in a peculiar situation. They're playing a game this week against Wisconsin that in the preseason, you, you may have circled. But then when Wisconsin didn't look any different so far this year than they normally do, it kind of let the air out of the balloon. And I don't hear anyone talking about the game. We're not going to break it down tonight because I don't see a path for Wisconsin to win the game. So we only break down games where I think there is a path. But yet the lines in the mid to upper teens, we've seen bigger underdogs than that pull outright upsets already this year. Just interesting. Just let's keep an eye on it. Just interesting. Someone, someone asked in the chat, am I going to break down the SEC schedule release tonight? Uh, no, Josh should not have callers like the Feinbaum Show. Absolutely, he should not. Uh, if you want that, go to the Feinbaum Show. Uh, anyway, someone asked, are we going to break down the SEC schedule release? No. I'll tell you why. Because one of the dumbest concepts in the world is to release your schedule during the season. The end. Next up, and by the way, 
when I am college football commissioner, we will announce schedules in February. We'll build a huge week of events around it. We'll do like the NFL does because that's one area where they get it right and college football does not. College football has no clue how to release its schedule. No clue. It's like watching children around a, a, a hose pipe or a sprinkler. They're just running into each other. No one has an idea what they're doing. Well, this is not how you do it. Did you even know? Half of you don't even know the schedule got released tonight. It did. Congrats, guys. Fumbled the bag fantastically on that one. Congrats. Yes, also like and subscribe if you're already watching. Thank you, Jesse. I'll announce that at least once more. Okay, let's get back into the show. Arkansas versus Texas A&M. This Saturday in Arlington, Texas. Hopefully not for too much longer, but at least for this Saturday in Arlington, Texas. Nothing against Arlington. Nothing against Texas. I just would much rather see this thing in Kyle Field or in Reynolds Razorback Stadium. That's me talking, a college football fan. This was a springboard game for Arkansas last year. You remember they won, I think, 20-10. to 10. We were at that game. It could be the same thing for Texas A&M this year. Let's remember the theme of tonight's show. What have you not shown yet that you are technically capable of? Well, A&M hasn't shown much more than a faint pulse offensively. Are they capable of more? Well, yeah, I think they're capable of more. I'm going to go ahead and give you a little teaser towards the end of this. Not only are we going to have a best bet on the side in this game, we're going to have a best bet on the total. Both of those will be on the Ramen Noodle Express this week. This is a really, really important game for us. All right, let's talk about A&M. What are they capable of that we haven't seen yet? They are dead last in the SEC in total yards. They're dead last in points per game. They're 13th or second to last in passing yards. Now, some of that's due to offensive ineptitude. Also, they just haven't run a lot, a lot of plays, which is kind of redundant because that's due to offensive ineptitude. Arkansas is bad in defending the pass this year. You would call that pass defense. They're bad. They're in like the 120s nationally, and it ultimately may cap the potential of this team. Is this A&M team built to expose that? Well, you can look at that one of two ways. You can either look at it and say, Oh, Arkansas's got a weakness on the back end. Don't worry, A&M can't throw the ball. They won't take advantage of it. Or you could say, maybe that's exactly the secondary A&M needs to go against to end up getting their passing game going. That's why they play the game. So we'll wait until Saturday to find that out. All I know is, I think Evan Stewart's back. Sounds like he's going to be back Saturday. The skill is there. Texas A&M's not hurting for skill. They don't have Ohio State's receiving core out there. They don't have a poverty receiving core either. They're plenty good enough, including guys in the backfield. They're plenty good enough if they're aggressive enough and if the scheme is sound. And that's its whole other conversation. Okay, Arkansas, let me ask you a question. And then I'm going to try and give you my answer. Are they a better running team than Miami? I think the answer is yes. In fact, I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. Now, the reason I bring up Miami is because Miami, even though they did not find the end zone last week, they were able to run the ball 4.9 yards per carry against Texas A&M. They couldn't capitalize, couldn't take advantage of it, but there were some yards to be had on the ground against Texas A&M. Arkansas, I think, is a better ground game, a better rushing attack. Now, does that mean they're going to go five yards per carry or better? Not necessarily. I'm fairly certain that A&M will key on the run. They'll also have some guys back this week that weren't on the field last week. They had a bunch of guys, in fact, both sides of the ball, that weren't on the field last week by the end that will be on the field this week. So that'll matter. Game plan will matter. To a certain extent, I think Arkansas's ground game is good enough to where they can run on you even if you expect it. But that's the first thing. What kind of success rate does Arkansas have on the ground? The second thing is, I've got a feel on the total. I'll give it to you right now, actually. The total's at 48.5 right now. We're slamming the over on this. This was a low-scoring game last year. I think it's going well into the 50s this year. So one of our best bets of the week, actually, I'm giving you right now, is over 48.5. This game, on third down last year, featured teams going a combined 7 for 27, which I think will be greatly improved upon this year. Arkansas, I think, is improved in both facets of their offense. I think Texas A&M has shown enough inability to stop the run to where Arkansas will have success there. But I've told you, and I'm going to continue to tell you, I think they were like 19 to 49 pass to run last year in terms of ratio. I think it'll be a little more balanced this year because I think they have the weapons with which to do it. On the other side, Texas A&M 4.2 yards per play last year. I expect that to be way better. I think 
Texas a and is going to have far more success through the air. Number one, because of a commitment to it. And number two, because it's there to be had against this Arkansas secondary. And they need to. You're not going to play like A&M's been playing and stand much of a chance against the rest of your schedule. And that starts Saturday, by the way. Now, there is no way that the offensive game plans and the offensive output, shall I say, against App State and against Miami is going to get it done here. They know that. I think A&M fans know that. And there's no reason to have to settle for that. So here's the rest of A&M's schedule. It's, that run is ridiculous. They've got four straight games on the road. There's a buy-in between. They play in Dallas Saturday. They play in Starkville the next week. They play in Tuscaloosa the next week. They got a bye. Then they play in Columbia. There's not another game at Kyle Field until right around Halloween. How this happens, I will never know. Once I'm commissioner, I'll fix all this scheduling nonsense. But as for now, it's going to be quite a while before they find the comfort of home again. Let's take a look at what the Vegas number is. Let's take a look at what the model says, and I'll tell you what I think is going to happen. The Vegas number is A&M minus two as we sit here tonight. It's kind of fluctuated, two, two and a half. We think the wrong team's favored. In fact, the model has Arkansas minus two. We're four points off the Vegas total, and we cross zero. This is pretty rare, but it is the case here. There are no massive edges. There are no massive team edges. Maybe position by position you find stuff, but there are no massive team edges here. I expect an extremely competitive game. I'm going to side with the model there because I think Arkansas is the better team. We've got them power rated more high. I, it would make no sense for me to show you the JP poll and then a neutral field game pick the lower rated team. So I'm taking Arkansas to win the game and I'm taking Arkansas plus the points. It is a best bet for us. So not only is Arkansas plus two on the Ramen Noodle Express, over 48 and a half is on the Ramen Noodle Express. Now, if it goes down this way, it will create a pretty interesting dynamic. Because like I said, I, I, don't, I don't think this is some blowout either way. I expect a very, very close game. But it doesn't matter because a win will be a win, a loss will be a loss. And you will have, if A&M were to fall, you would have A&M with two losses already upon entering conference play. This will be their first conference game of the year. It's hard to know what the conversation would be like. I can pretty well guess what the conversation would be like. But around Arkansas, if they win the game, you know they're in the same position they were in last year. Uh, the difference is, instead of having a, a road trip to Georgia coming up in the near future, they'll have Bama at home. And you know what? I mean, that place is going to be on fire either way. If they win against A&M, then they got Bama coming in there, and it'll be one of the biggest games in Reynolds Razorback Stadium history. If they lose against A&M Saturday, they'll be in wounded animal mode. And Bam will be coming in there. Either way, place will be on fire. But that's for two weeks from now. As for this game, taking Arkansas close and taking the over and feel pretty good about it. Hey, we're undefeated. For, for as cold as the Ramen Noodle Express has been so far this year, cold noodles, terrible for you. The totals have been spectacular. We're undefeated betting totals. And that would be 1-0, by the way. This week is the week when you turn on games that you'll see that patch on the side of a lot of coaches' shirts and polos and it'll say coach to cure MD. I don't know if a lot of you know what that's about. So Duchenne muscular dystrophy is what that is representing, and it affects one in every 5,000 boys. Did a lot of reading on this today because I was sort of unfamiliar with it too. I've heard of it, and I know Ernie Johnson Jr., for example, his son I think suffers from this. And there's a really concerted effort. Places like Ohio State, Cincinnati, Utah, UCLA, they do a lot of research on this. Uh, the AFCA, a lot of their coaches kind of band together one week out of the year. It's this weekend. And try and push for donations. And ultimately, you just try and push for a cure. It's lethal, though. It's in one out of every 5,000 boys. It lowers your life expectancy to 30 years. Most of those years will be spent in a wheelchair. So we're going to hop on board along with the AFCA. Uh, if you're interested in helping out in any way with this, it's pretty simple. You don't even have to get up. You can text CURE, C-U-R-E, to 501-501. CURE, 501-501. And that is a one-time $25 donation. Uh, we're taking part in it. And I would encourage and ask you guys if you want to, to take part in that. 501-501 is the number. Text CURE. And look for the patches this Saturday. No easy way to do this, but we have to transition and we have to talk about hot seats.
Colin, here's your end point. Some seats have already overheated. We've seen coaches fired already. Scott Frost is out. Herm Edwards is out. It's not over. There are several more coming. And I'm going to talk about the latest I've heard. There's a lot of rumor out there that probably is unsubstantiated. I'll give you what I've heard so far and, and the timetables, I think, on some of these. Now, there's a lot of arguing this time of year when a coach has already been fired. And I think it's valid. If a coach has already been fired and it's not even October yet, why was he given the opportunity to even start the season? Each circumstance is unique, but on the whole, I get that argument, but that's in the past now for the guys who have already been shown the door. I think there's some more coming. So, for instance, this first situation, obviously pretty unique. Brian Harson and Auburn, I don't need to go back into the whole uh, off-the-field drama in February and March, but there was a concerted effort behind the scenes to oust him. It failed, and he started the season as the head coach at Auburn. It has not gone well. It will not continue to go well because they don't have a quarterback. So, you know, they're, gonna, they're going to get pushed around. They're going to lose several more games. It's a virtual certainty. Protocols were in place this past spring and summer for them to go 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four if the losses were competitive. And I've spoken to you about that. I thought he made a brilliant tactical move to get himself out, on the, get out in front of people more because he didn't do it enough and endeared himself to people. And what I thought that was doing was in the aggregate, it was building up some equity to where if they lost some games like they lost against Bama last year, really competitive, I think he was going to be able to survive 7-5 and five or 8-4. and four. There is no protocol for the disaster they just suffered last week. And I kid you not, it was so clear that things shifted pretty radically during the game. And I talked to a couple of people who said that. I didn't need to talk to anyone. You didn't need to talk to anyone. For that matter, you were watching it at home or if you were in the stadium. God bless you if you stuck it out until the end. But most of you did not. So most of you were already on your way home by the time the final gun sounded. There is something happening behind the scenes at Auburn right now, and uh, it's, it's the usual. It's not unique to Auburn, but behind the scenes at Auburn, as you would probably suspect, there are some in the booster class who are saying, I told you so, because they didn't want Harson. They never did. They reiterated that hardcore back in the winter and tried to get him out of there. It didn't work. And so, obviously, since things haven't panned out, there's the attitude amongst some Auburn boosters of, told you so. And the told you so is pretty insulting because it insinuates that there were only two options. Either you bring Harson in or you let us do it our way. And if you let us do it our way, it just would have worked out. I need to remind you their way was hiring Kevin Steele. I'm not a prophet. I can't tell you if it would have worked out or not. I have my suspicions. But let's leave those to the side for just a second. Might I suggest to you that just because Brian Harson has not worked out as head coach at Auburn doesn't mean your way was right to begin with. The Auburn way, according to some, is to basically do things in the most backward manner possible and make the people who should be the decision makers the last to know, and we'll take care of it, and we'll pass it off to you so you can put your stamp of approval on it. Who's the AD there right now? Don't even have one. They don't think they need one because that AD should not really be the decision maker. It should be us over here. No, no, there's this third way of doing it. I know this is a pretty radical concept to present to some of the powers that be at Auburn. There's a third way of doing things. And it's the same way that every other successful program does it. There's no unique way you have to do it at Auburn. It's a myth for people to think that way. The third way is go in this order, get yourself a really good athletic director, hire him, let him acclimate, let him do his own assessment of the program. He'll arrive at the right conclusion, which is it's time to move on from Brian Harson. He's not my guy. I didn't hire him. The results aren't good enough. That'll be clear. Then you let him do what he was hired to do, and you stay out of the way. You go run your lumber company. You go run your bank. You go do what you're supposed to do because that's how you made your fortune. You didn't make your fortune running a football program. You get access to the program because you have a fortune, but that's not how you amassed your fortune. That's how I would suggest Auburn go about it. Uh, my opinion is irrelevant, and most opinions that sound like that have been irrelevant there for a little while. But the fact remains, the days are numbered for Brian Harson. They got Missouri Saturday. Okay, here's what I don't know. They got Missouri Saturday. I don't know if, if him losing Saturday would all of a sudden pull the lever. I, truthfully, I don't even know who would pull the lever. 
because they have an interim situation at AD right now. So I don't even know how that would happen. I just know that it doesn't get easier. Missouri is followed by LSU, Georgia, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, A&M, Western Kentucky, and Alabama. That sounds like a joke. It's not. That's really Auburn's schedule. So yeah, it's not a matter of if, probably a matter of when there. Speaking of when and not if, Jeff Collins has probably done it. Jeff Collins has done it at Georgia Tech. They've been outscored 83 to 10 versus FBS opponents so far this year. The program was on life support when they entered this season. He made some moves on the coaching staff, some by choice, some by necessity. Nothing's worked. So there's, there've been whispers of some action behind the scenes in Atlanta this week. A lot of that's true. And that can mean many different things. Sometimes that means that the administration is trying to get their ducks in a row. Sometimes it means they're negotiating a reduced buyout. Would not surprise me, but I can't confirm that. It would not surprise me if that's happening. Uh, I still believe, in my heart of hearts, this is one of the most underrated jobs in major college football. I thought Jeff Collins would work out there. It has not worked out. You see the records there, three, six, nine. They got, he's got 10 wins total uh, since 2019. So in his entire time there, 19, 20, 21, and the beginning of 22, he has won 10 combined games. So it didn't work. I believe it can work. You are going to hear the name Deion Sanders. There are people associated with that program who fully believe in that concept. They believe in bringing Deion in and letting him do at Georgia Tech what Pittman's done at Arkansas. And to be clear, what that means is hire an incredible staff. That's why it's working out for Sam Pittman at Arkansas. And if you don't believe me, listen to him. Last time we had him on the show, that's what he sat there and said. I got the best staff in the country. That's why we win. I mean, it's not me. I've got the best staff in the country. Now, he's a little humble there because it is due in large part to him. But there's going to be some talk of Deion Sanders being a, a head coaching option at Georgia Tech. And I know a lot of you, because it just sounds so bristly on the surface, it just comes so far out of left field, your default is to say, no way. There is a way. There is a way. I'm not telling you I know it'd work. I haven't even done research on it or anything like that, and that doesn't matter anyway. I'm just, there are going to be people who want the antithesis of what they just experienced under Collins. And so Deion Sanders is pretty much the antithesis on the surface of every other situation in major college football right now. That doesn't mean it won't work, though. That there have been a lot of hires over the past few years that got laughed at. I go back to Pittman at Arkansas for just a second. It, did any of you in your right mind expect them to be where they are right now? No. He blended seamlessly with the culture, and he hired a great staff. If you can do that, there's that third component, which is recruiting. That's the last thing I would ever worry about with Deion Sanders. So we'll see where things go at Georgia Tech. I do not know a timetable there. I think it's going to be pretty soon. They go to Central Florida this week. Uh, they're probably going to lose that game. I think action's coming pretty soon there. Neil Brown at West Virginia is one that I, I, don't, I don't think is as far down the road as some others think. I talked to someone today who I trust, who was pretty adamant that, hey, thin ice with hot blades. That's what, that's what Neil Brown's skating with right now. There are very split opinions here because my opinion is not that. My opinion is still they can have a decent season this year. It's just they got bit by Kansas at the worst time. And what's rubbed a lot of them very raw at West Virginia is they've seen Lance Leopold come into Kansas and just turn it around immediately. And he's been there far less time than their guy has. And that guy came into our building here in Morgantown and embarrassed us 55-42. So that's tough to swallow. I get that. Uh, they, they've got Virginia Tech this Thursday. They're favored by one and a half for what that's worth. They got Virginia Tech Thursday. To me, it's as simple as beating Virginia Tech and as hard as beating Virginia Tech. So if they lose this Thursday, I'm not telling you this isn't a very touch-and-go situation. It is. But I'm saying if they were to beat Virginia Tech Thursday, they'd be 2-2. Two and two. But they, I think, would have the noise turned down considerably. And then they'd go get into conference play or back into conference play. And they would have Texas, Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU. There are going to be a lot of games they'll be a dog in. None of these games, there'll be a three or four touchdown dog in, and they should be able to compete. I still think they've got ingredients to have a pretty good team. I just don't think it's happened yet. What's the theme of tonight's show? What are you capable of that you just haven't shown yet? West Virginia's capable of being a good team this year. 
it just hasn't become that team yet. Teams click in week four all the time. Now, getting week seven, week eight, week nine, maybe not necessarily, but I still think there's a lot of life there. I also owe it to you, because a lot of you have asked about this, I owe it to you to address the Urban Meyer rumors. The Urban Meyer rumors around Nebraska were foolish to me. I, I, don't, I don't think and have never thought there's a chance that he's going to be the head coach of Nebraska for two reasons. I don't think he wants it, and I don't think Nebraska wants it. So usually, that's a formula for a guy not being your head coach. I was listening to T-Bob Hebert talk today, and I think he was probably talking about Nebraska. So if he was talking about Nebraska and how Urban Meyer's not the right guy for Nebraska, okay, I'll grant you that. But in general, I think he's going to coach again. I, this flies in the face of what people close to him have told me. It flies in the face of what Pete Thamel reported today. I am telling you I disagree with them and have not spoken to Urban Meyer once about it. I am just putting two and two together. I don't think he's done coaching, but I don't think he's coaching next year. I don't think he needs to coach next year. I don't think he wants to coach next year. I think a couple of things are true. Right now, when he tells people, I'm not getting back into coaching, I think he fully believes it. I also think I'm right in that his attitude will change one day and because he's 58 years old, mainly, and it ended very, very poorly in Jacksonville. I don't think we need to recap that. So yeah, I think he's got another run in him, but I don't think it's at a place like Nebraska. I mean, his last two stops, Florida, Ohio State, those were not Nebraska stops. Those were not build it from the ground up. Those were, let's take the keys, the thing's already put together, we need to make a few changes here, new hubcap, you know, there's a dent in the door over here, but, but this thing will run already. That's not what Nebraska is, and that's, what, that's not where Urban Meyer belongs. But it, there's going to be a program down the road that's already a proven powerhouse and it just needs a little repair and that's the seat he'll hop into one day. But in the meantime, as for Nebraska, there are going to be some good candidates out here. And there are going to be some available candidates. Like, it's just, it's the right time. I know it's never the right time to be in the situation they're in. I think it's the right time if you're going to have a coaching opening. Because you got these guys in the Sun Belt doing what they're doing. You got guys like Leopold at Kansas doing what he's doing. Uh, Elko's doing what he's doing at Duke. There are a lot of places that, that are tier four type programs with guys doing really big things and proving that they know how to do what you need done at Nebraska. You're not having to go poach from the same level or a level up and hoping to outspend someone. You may take that track, but Trev Alberts has talked about character. He's talked about a builder. He's right in talking about those things. I think there's going to be multiple right candidates to choose from for Nebraska. They just got to get it right. Got to take your time, get it right. I think he's out there. I think in reality, you know, there's that adage that there's one person out there in the world that's meant for you. I've always thought that was laughable. I think statistically there are probably like 300,000 people out there that you're compatible with. Don't check me on that number. I think there are multiple compatible candidates that are going to be in the hiring pool for Nebraska. They just got to go not find the right one, find a right one because it'll work out. Nebraska can still be a winner. You know my feelings on that. Nebraska can still be a winner. All right, let's dive back into, uh, I know you guys disagree. I see some of your comments in the, in the chat. I know some of you disagree. They're watching us in Walnut Creek, California, Wilmington, North Carolina, and Graysonville, Maryland. We appreciate you guys being tuned in. Remember, if you have not already, especially if you're watching live right now, like the video. That little thumbs up button, help us get over 1,000. We're almost there already. Did you know Clemson plays Wake Forest Saturday? If you don't, you do now. It's a noon Eastern time kickoff. It's on ABC. This is where we're going to start to find out about Clemson. Or are we? Because there's a chance that Clemson could be totally fraudulent and still blow Wake Forest out. This game was horrific last year. Really bad. This was supposed to be last year a game where Clemson may have gotten upset. It was not. Let me give you a little historical trend. I'm not always the biggest on trends around here, but Jesse brought me one today. It's too glaring to ignore. Since 2000, it's a long time now, it's over two decades. Since 2000, Wake Forest has had 24 opportunities against top 10 teams, and they've lost all 24 of them. So they have not pulled off something like they're trying to pull off this Saturday, quite literally this millennium. This game last year was a blowout. It was 38-13 entering the fourth quarter. Wake Forest, season low in points last year, 36 rush yards. For the record, Clemson had over 330 of those rushing yards. 
There is a plus side, though. You can go back and look at last year. Last year does not always foretell of the year to come. Just trying to give you an idea of how this went down last year. There is a positive, and that is that producer Jesse, Jesse did a really good job today. Stats and info, a.k.a. Jesse, did a really good job. He brought me another interesting tidbit, and that is that Wake Forest has 39 guys on their roster that are either 5th, 6th, or 7th year players. Got a bunch of Sean Clifford's on the team. 39 of them. So they've had to chew on that the entire, a casual would call it the offseason. They've chewed on it. Does it matter? If you're not equipped, does it matter? Well, we're going to find out. The line on this game is 7. We're going to find out. Wake is 7th in the nation right now in 3rd down conversions. So defensively. So they, hadn't, they have not let you convert 3rd down a lot. That's the plus side. The downside is that is against VMI, Vanderbilt, and Liberty. Obviously, the competition ramps up dramatically this week. I think it's a big week for Will Shipley, the running back at Clemson, because they are such a step up athletically. I think it kind of renders a lot of these stats moot. I mean, honestly, I don't know how much Wake's success defensively on third down against VMI, Vandy, and Liberty is going to matter when it's third and three. And I've got two shots with Will Shipley. I don't know how much is going to matter. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I just don't take a whole lot of comfort in that stat and that stat alone. Now, here's what I do know. I know there are some guys that are questionable in Wake's secondary. I don't know what the status is there, but if they just have a version of the secondary they've had so far this year, their pass defense is probably a lot more sound than their run defense. And with that in mind, I think about the game plan for Clemson, and I think about the potential vulnerability in the passing game for Clemson, there's not really a whole lot of reason for them to put it in the air Saturday when they don't need to. And here's the issue. On the other side of the ball, for Wake, they will not be able to run. No one's under an illusion otherwise. Clemson knows Wake can't run. Wake knows Wake can't run. My mom knows Wake can't run. Everyone knows they can't run. Which just puts the entire thing on Sam Hartman's shoulders, the quarterback there. And there are a couple of names you need to be aware of that could be back this Saturday for Clemson. Tyler Davis, Brian Brzee, and Xavier Thomas, they think they may play Saturday. If they do, they haven't gotten that combination on the field a whole lot, but when they have been, they've been pretty lethal. And so you just start to picture in your head Sam Hartman having to throw the ball 35 times, 45 times, 55 times, who knows, in order to win this game. Uh, it just it doesn't paint a really rosy picture. I don't see how you make it unscathed or turnover free through an afternoon like that. So they can't run the ball. I, I, can you get 30 plus? That's the starting point to me. Because even with the struggles offensively for Clemson so far this year, I think I can count on them to get 30 plus. So 30 is the starting point for this game to me. I don't know that I can count on Wake to get there. And so let's take a look at what Vegas thinks. Let's take a look at what the model thinks. The Vegas number is seven, Clemson minus seven. The model is still a little tepid, shall I say, tepid on Clemson. So the model only has Clemson minus eight. I thought it'd be double digits. I, I think Clemson's going to win the game. I think they're going to cover. There's, there's so many paths here where not only does the Clemson ground game just chew the game up, but also in an effort to keep up, Wake ends up turning the ball over and Clemson ends up scoring in pretty much all three phases of the game. So I just think there's an opportunity here, much like last year, for Clemson to overwhelm Wake athletically. I think that number's too low. I think our number's too low. I think they're going to win the game by double digits. So give me Clemson to win. Give me Clemson to cover. With that in mind, I have got in my hand four best bets for this Saturday. We will, I can confidently tell you we'll be adding on to this. It is no secret, paper pop, I got to be very serious here. It is no secret that the Ramen Noodle Express has gotten off to a bad start. Probably the worst start we've gotten off to. I haven't checked that. I would, I would assume it's the worst start we've gotten off to. Uh, let me shoot this rubber band off stage. It, it, doesn't, it, it does matter, but it won't matter because I know we're going to get hot. I feel, I will tell you this, I feel as good about these week's games as any week so far this year. And because of that, I'm not holding back with just these four. There are three games right now that are sitting on a number that I'm waiting to move another half point, And we're not going to get sucked into just moving on them because it's Tuesday. We'll be moving. Make sure you are following on Instagram at LateKickJosh because some of these I may wait until Friday Night Lines to talk about. And for those who are new, 
That is an Instagram live only that I do on Friday nights. Friday Night Lines, really cool name. And I normally give you at least one or two of our final best bets on that. So here's what we have right now. We've already moved on Washington State plus six. They're hosting Oregon. You can get six or six and a half out there right now. Here are the new games. We just added two of them. I already told you. Arkansas plus two and a half is available out there. At Caesars right now, it's two, but there are plenty of available two and a halves. And we took Arkansas A&M over 48 and a half. That's a pretty consensus number in the market. Uh, anything 50 or under, I like the over on there. I think the game is going to get into the 50s. And you know who else we're taking? We're going to take Stanford. Washington looked great last week, didn't they? I think Washington will end up winning the game against Stanford this week. I don't think it'll be by 14. I think it'll be by single digits. So we're going to take Stanford plus 14. Much different matchup stylistically than Washington saw against Michigan State last week. Not only that, you have the letdown potential. Stanford's already been forgotten about because they had an early season loss. So we're going to take Stanford plus 14, Arkansas plus 2.5, Arkansas A&M over 48.5, Washington State plus 6. I implore you, and I use that word rarely but forcefully, we are not done on those best bets. In fact, I would venture to guess we may double that number because we feel very good about the numbers this week. So we're just trying to get value at this point. We're waiting on some games to move. Appreciate you guys so much for being tuned in. Looking very forward, very forward to getting to Knoxville. This weekend, I'm going to have a, a special guest, a little angel of ours on the road with us this week. So looking forward to seeing you guys there. Make sure, if you haven't already, I tell you to like the video all the time. I ask you to sub all the time. Let me tell you what that's doing. Just functionally, what that's doing is, when you do that, it really, really juices a lot of the charts that our management and our high-level mustache executives follow, and it puts us on their radar. It just keeps us on their radar. So you're watching already. 58% of the people who watch on YouTube are not subscribed to the channel. It costs you nothing. It does nothing to you. All you have to do is click subscribe. Nothing else happens, but you help us. If you're listening on pod, something like 40% of our podcast traffic is unsubscribed. So keep listening. I appreciate you listening. Just do us the added favor of subscribing. And we'll get an extra muffin or two from management at the end of the uh, two-week pay period. So thank you so much for that. We'll be back here same time Thursday night. Until then, take care. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. God bless.